Hey there, I'm Edwina Kennedy, registered pediatric dietitian and mom of two, and this is the My Little Eater podcast. Each week, I'll be dishing out all the best info on feeding and nutrition for your baby and toddler, answering all of your what do I do when scenarios, and helping you gain complete confidence in not only feeding your child, but in parenting as well. Every episode is filled with actionable and proven feeding strategies delivered by a mama and a feeding expert who's been there and done that. I hold your hand and take you step by step through all stages of feeding while showing you how to implement what I teach you so that you can raise a happy and healthy little eater of your own. Let's do this. Welcome, everybody, to the My Little Eater podcast. Today, I have two very extra special guests. I've been saving them to the end of season two, guys, because these <laughs> these two are really, really good. Uh, we have Dr. Shauna Alvarez and Dr. Jenna Elgin, who are both licensed psychologists, moms of three kids each, and co-founders of Helping Families Thrive, where they provide research-based online courses and resources to help your family thrive. They are rooted in evidence and balance, and the concrete tools that they share have been found to decrease challenging behaviors and improve parent-child relationships and decrease parental stress. So I am so happy to have them here. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Shauna and Dr. Jenna. Thank Thank you you so much. So I will first say that I discovered you initially on Instagram, where I know many parents these days are discovering a lot of parenting experts and they find a lot of information, good and bad, you know, for how to do this and how to do that and what the latest advice is on everything, you know, when it comes to parenting and raising kids. And I loved your stance. I think the first post that I saw that stood out to me was your timeout post. (laughs) And it was called like, let's take a timeout from bashing timeouts. And I loved how you explained, you know, the difference between the evidence that's out there and how we interpret it (laughs) and you know how timeouts for example that one example was how that's being used without fully understanding how to do it and you know that there's a lot of misinformation out there and 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 it happens in both I, I know in your world it happens in the nutrition world but that is how I first discovered you and I loved 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 seeing you know how you really clarified and simplified things for parents and just told the truth and then I also started seeing a lot of information around parenting styles all the different types that are out there and where do you want to fit in and this is something that I really want to get in with you today and really deep dive and discuss but before I do I'm wondering if you can just let us know how each of you kind of got started in um, you know the world of psychology and parenting advice and you know even just starting this whole mission of you know helping families thrive and starting your online course and the whole work. So you can just let us know a bit about your background. That'd be great. Fantastic. Yes. So Shauna and I met in graduate school, actually, at the University of Washington in Seattle back in 2008. And we became good friends and we worked together on a lot of our stuff throughout graduate school. And then after we finished graduate school, we worked together in different capacities. So we we studied psychology. um, And so we're child psychologists and Sean is actually a speech language pathologist as well. So even before she went to graduate school to be a psychologist, had tons of experience working with young kids with communication difficulties. Um, and one of the projects that we did together after we graduated was a lot of parent training courses, evidence-based parent training courses, one in particular called The Incredible Years. Um, and we did that on and off together. And then um, I actually took some time off of practicing after I had my second child. 
and then decided to leave the workforce altogether when I had my third baby in the middle of COVID and decided to start helping families thrive as one as an outlet as I was home with three young kids, but also because I was turning to social media a lot for parenting information, right? I'm an expert in some things, but I'm not necessarily in, uh, you know, feeding, right? And so I would go for feeding stuff or or different areas and realize that there's so much good information out there. Um, And there's some stuff that wasn't evidence-based or um, was misleading. And so I felt that Shauna and I could contribute to that world, providing evidence-based information uh, specifically around mental health, challenging behaviors, and different parenting tools that families can use. Yeah. And while, while Jenna was, you know, doing this, we were staying in contact, you know, throughout the whole time. And we started our parenting journeys around, around the same time as well. And, um, you know, when I was still in practice and supervising um, doctoral psychology students at the UW, I was seeing more and more parents that were just uh, coming in with a lot of information already and kind of seemed to be um, paralyzed by the amount of information and also the contradictions of the different types of information they were getting. And it was, it was kind of a new trend that I was seeing. And I really started to understand that more and where that was coming from. When Jenna started sending me, you know, I, I wasn't as involved in social media. And she, she started sending me kind of these snippets of what's out there. And again, some of it's really consistent with evidence and very consistent with what we learned as research scientists and, and what we do in practice. And then some of it is, is really not. Um, and, and so that was concerning for me. And I suddenly understood where all this anxiety that all of my families were coming in with, um, where it was coming from. It's quite overwhelming. And we have no issue with lots of opinions and lots of paths about parenting, right? It's um, it's so cultural, it's so personal. It's so, I get that, you know, I'm first generation Latina and I was not raised in a Brady Bunch style, you know, <laughs> Betty Crocker home. That's not, and that's fine, right? We're all about different paths up this mountain. But what we notice is that there's a lot of claims about things that where people are saying, you know, research shows us or neuroscience shows us or um, and, and also fear mongering about if you don't do this one specific thing, you're going to ruin your your relationship that then is, is just completely uh, not only is it not founded in research, but it then causes this level of parent distress that has been found in research to do harm. So, so this was our mission was kind of like, okay, there's a lot of information out there. How do we bring all the parenting science we know about to the everyday parent to Instagram? Because we're not doing a good job of getting this information out to social media. I love that. I love, and I really appreciate that work that you do because it is so needed. And I honestly, I I say this a lot, but my heart goes out to the parents that are of this generation, millennial parents and parents during COVID times. And all of this is it's just compounded stress and anxiety and it makes the job of a parent, which is already so difficult, that much more difficult. I think that I always see, always see this double-edged sword and this beauty and, and kind of downside of, of the online world where, you know, it's so wonderful that we have all this information at our fingertips. And especially again, during COVID times, you know, a lot of us are more isolated. We don't have the village that we may have had, you know, pre-COVID times whatever it might be. But at the same time, you have quote unquote experts of, of from every background and experience level and 
you know, everyone with good intentions, I know, but we all take things and, you know, we're not all necessarily qualified. And I, I, I just so appreciate that you are bringing in the true real evidence and you take such a balanced approach and you are clarifying and reducing that stress for parents because like I said, just so overwhelming and so hard to sift through all of that stuff out there that when you do find someone you can trust like yourselves, you just take that deep breath, you sigh and you're like, you just all that relief washes over you because you're like, these people have no agenda. They are literally looking to bring me the true evidence. And I just, anyway, I just think that's so wonderful. So thank yeah. you so much for that um, and for your mission. You know, I teach a lot. I want to, I want to deep dive today into um, a lot of topics. Actually, there's a lot that I want to ask you about, but I think mainly <laughs> wanting to focus on the different types of parenting styles that are out there and how we can kind of relate that all back to feeding experiences and parenting at the table. And I do teach a lot of that, you know, to whatever capacity I can inside of my toddler's course and, and just daily online, you know, <laughs> um, when it comes to how do you how do you parent your toddler at the table? Because toddlers are learning how to eat. It's a skill and it's something that does require parenting, you know? And so there are a lot of things that I have read and learned and, uh, and I align with everything that you guys talk about. But now that I have you here, I really wanted you to deep dive into this topic for us. So I'm wondering if you can explain what are the different types of parenting styles that are out there and just really simply, which ones do we want to adopt? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think, you know, even to start that conversation, we need to distinguish between what parenting styles means, like in the research and in evidence-based practice, right? And then what parenting styles refers to in like the social media kind of popular media world, right? So, so parenting styles in the research world is really talking about measuring two different dimensions of parenting behavior. So, Typically, these styles are measured across the dimension of control, like which is basically how many, how are you limit setting and drawing boundaries and controlling your child's behavior, and then warmth, right? So, providing um, positive, warm interactions, affection, um, connection, those types of things, right? And when you are high in the control domain and low in the warmth domain, right? then you're falling into a trend of being what is referred to as authoritarian. No, but yes, authoritarian parent. I always mess up that word. Very similar <laughs> to the, like do another one. one. You'll see why. <laughs> authoritarian parenting. Basically what this is, you know, what this would be referred to as, you know, around the dinner table is like old school, right? So, you know, you're falling into this kind of overly harsh trend where you're quite good at setting boundaries, maybe too many, but you might set them too harshly, too rigidly. And it's harder for you to get more at that, you know, the warm and fuzzy stuff. So some of these families might be like, well, I, you know, I wasn't praised for everything I did. And, you know, th this type of demeanor, because it's oftentimes not what we're used to, right? Our, our parents, our grandparents, it was more, you know, children are to be seen and not heard. <laughs> and so it's, it's understandable where that, where that trend comes from, where that pattern comes from. But that extreme, which would be considered kind of overly harsh parenting, has been shown, you know, throughout decades of research, has negative impacts on kids, right? So like physical discipline, lots of yelling, lots of shaming, um, and that lack of consistent warmth 
is associated with increased aggression, increased emotion regulation difficulties for children in the long term. Okay. And of course, not great for the parent child relationship. So that's on one extreme. Yeah. On, on the other side, if you are really high in warmth, so the connection and the, you know, the positive relationship and um, the little moments of bonding, all of those things, responsiveness, but the boundary setting is hard for you, you know, setting limits, following through, being able to tolerate your kids distress that might come with setting those limits and still setting them anyway. This would be, you know, high in warmth, lower in control and boundaries. And this in the research is referred to as permissive parenting. Okay. And these are kind of the two extremes of the four styles, I think. There's one more that is discussed as being both low in warmth and um, low in control, and that's neglectful parenting. And oftentimes that's associated with parental mental health challenges or environmental challenges that really make those things difficult to provide, right? Um, but the overly harsh authoritarian parenting and the kind of overly permissive, permissive parenting style are the two extremes. We've done a really good job of spreading the research, like spreading the word on, hey guys, you know, I know this is was the old school style of parenting. There's some great things to be learned from it, but it was too much. Hey, <laughs> there's long-term damage that can happen here. We need to find a better way. We haven't done as good of a job of describing what happens with permissive parenting. And being warm is necessary, but it is not sufficient. It is not it, right? You can't warm your way out of every, <laughs> out of every challenging situation with your kid. And by trying to do so and falling into permissive parenting, we can, we create, the research has found, kiddos that are actually, they struggle more with emotion regulation because they don't have that practice because we don't allow them to build a tolerance to low levels of stress in the presence of a good relationship, right? They tend to be kids that are more uh, kind of, they expect good outcomes. So the sense of entitlement, right? For example, in academic settings, when they get to college and they're like, I didn't do the work and I still don't get an A, what? <laughs> you know? So those types of outcomes are found with permissive parenting. So what do we do? Like, okay, here's this old school extreme. And then now to be honest, what I see more in practice is swinging this swinging more to this other extreme. Understandably so, because, you know, lots of parents are wandering around going, hey, I got spanked and I was given two hour timeouts when I was younger. I'm not going to do that. Let me go over here. Oh, shoot. That's not quite it either. Well, here's what the balance has been shown to be effective in the research. The balance is having high warmth and high control, right? Warmth and boundaries, a combination of those two. And that is termed as authoritative parenting. <laughs> Every single talk, I struggle between the difference between authoritarian and authoritative. Authoritative is the balance. It's warmth and boundaries, okay? And there's just decades of research about this having the most positive outcomes. You have lots of warmth in your parent-child relationship that is prioritized. And you can do the work, including tolerating your own distress and your kid's distress, that you need to do to set those boundaries around your child's behaviors. How to do that? There's lots of evidence-based programs. Well, actually not lots. Let me revise that statement. There's some evidence-based programs that have been shown to provide the tools that are needed, right? To have that balance of warmth and boundaries. You know, there's the four top ones, meaning they have the highest level of, of research behind them are the incredible years, parent-child interaction therapy, something called parent management training, and what am I missing? Triple P. There's also a great one that's up and coming called tuning into kids, which is great too. So, so that's a lot of like, what are the specific tools that you need to get that balance? 
when we talk about these styles, this authoritative, authoritarian, permissive, that's what the research talks about for parenting styles. What we see on Instagram or in social media is like, you know, positive parenting, compassionate parenting, attachment parenting, right? And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Some of those things are people's individual paths up the mountain, right? So we we look at authoritative parenting <laughs> as, as the mountain. Like, get it? Yeah. <laughs> this is like the compass to get you up the mountain of parenthood, right? It's like, okay, a balance of warmth and boundaries, warmth and boundaries. Okay. Now <laughs> the path you take up the mountain, there's so many different paths you could take up that mountain, depending on your culture, your background, your personality, right? But there are some truths here about, you know, some basic pillars that we need. Now, compassionate parenting, attachment parenting, that path, if it combines warmth and boundaries, that might be a great path for some parents, but not for all. And that's okay. It's not going to break your relationship with your kid if that path is not for you, right? Your friend might be taking this path and you're on this path and you both might be, you know, balancing warmth and boundaries in a really acceptable way. That is my long soapbox. Yeah, no, that that's very helpful. And it I know it's a whole podcast on its own because you're right. There are so many different styles and labels and terms and programs and things out there, you know, that seem all like the the quote unquote latest thing. And we all want to be up to date and we all want to do what's best. And so sometimes we'll we'll grab onto one parenting style or way of teaching or one philosophy or theory. And then like you said, we sort of take it to an extreme because we think that's good. That's the new thing. That's the best thing. And I want to do what's best. And then we don't really put it in that context of the balance that you're, that you're talking about, the warmth and the boundaries, you know, the two can coexist and it doesn't have to be one extreme where we get, again, that permissive parenting where everything is okay, where we, there are no no's ever said to our child. And you know, they can have, I'm just thinking in the context of food, I see it a lot where it's like, you know, the all day snacking, the all day grazing, if they don't, you know, if they want to have something, it's maybe it's like, oh, no, we're not going to have that now. But then it's a quick, you know, fine. Okay, fine. You can have it, you know, once there's a little pouting happening. And so it's trying to figure out how do we maintain that connection and all the good stuff that they're talking about in the, the latest research and everything in this, you know, decade of things that were of, of research that we know. But you know, really still taking a step back and putting that holistic frame on it and being like, listen, any way when you take it to an extreme is not going to be helpful, is not going to really help us uh, see the results that we want to see. And I know when it comes to like, we'll probably get into some different examples, but I've seen also, like you said, a lot of the authoritative parenting, my parents really had an authoritative parenting approach. And I can think around mealtimes where it was like, you have to finish your food, you have to eat all of it. Uh, wait, did I say that one right? Authoritarian. I mixed, see, I mixed it up. Authoritarian. <laughs> okay, that's right. Authoritarian. That's the approach they had. So it was much more strict. It was much more do what I say. You know, not necessarily what I do, but just do what I say because I'm the parent and I know what's best. And you have to have this much food, and you you can't leave, and you can't. You know, you have to like literally. They would make me eat. <laughs> Yeah, no, three more bites, four more bites. And then it would be like, if you don't finish it at supper, you're eating it for breakfast the next day. <laughs> because that to them and, it, you know, to them, it was like, well, I need to teach them, you know, yeah. how it's done. And I know what's best. And th- how could they possibly know? It was just a different approach, right? And I just think, yeah, we, we've learned a lot from previous generations. And it doesn't mean that we all turned out 
bad or horrible, or we've ruined, you know, this generation of, of, of adults, not at all, but we know better. Right. And so, but it is about finding that approach. So I love that. I'm wondering if you can kind of walk us through what are the hardest parts of adopting that authoritative parenting approach for parents and what tips do you have for parents who struggle with it? Yeah. So, I mean, when we're looking at the authoritative parenting and that kind of balance that we're trying to strike, the thing that's tricky is that it's not so precise that you must do X, Y, and Z every single time to find that balance. And that's actually really like, I think relieving as a parent, right? I don't have to nail it every time. Um, And there's no like one exact script that's going to get me there, but it also can be tricky, right? So we're always trying to balance this. And Shauna and I talk a lot about constantly kind of scooting on your own um, teeter-totter, right? Like, oh, maybe that was was a little harsh, or maybe I set too many boundaries here and I need to move over to the warmth, or oh, I'm not setting enough limits around feeding. I'm noticing my kids are snacking too much. I need to pull back a little bit here. So I think that when we think about how do we strike this balance, it's this idea of making sure that we look for opportunities. Shauna and I talk a lot about this emotional piggy bank concept. So our children have an emotional piggy bank. Uh, You can kind of imagine it on their chest and looking for all these opportunities that we can fill up that emotional piggy bank throughout the day so that they have enough in that piggy bank, emotional reserves for when we have to set those limits and boundaries. Because if we're not filling that up, those limits and boundaries get really challenging to set. And that's when we find ourselves pulling back and doing the, okay, whatever I can do to avoid a meltdown, right? So ways that you can fill up that piggy bank are through child-directed play, praise, affection. Uh, We talk about in our course, different strategies for filling it up um, through many moments of interaction. So that's kind of the the basics. You've got to have that down. And then you have to set those boundaries. So in whatever situation you're at, thinking about safety or feeding, setting those boundaries, and then having warmth with your child in that, but being firm and following through. So when we think about feeding, like you mentioned, permissive feeding might be a letting your child eat anywhere in the house and snack whenever they want, right? Because they got to listen to their bodies. If they're hungry, I got to let them eat, right? Um, Right. Which sounds great in theory, but like you mentioned, like we're still teaching our kids, kids still need our guidance. Um, So how can we teach them to listen to their body and do it in a way that's developmentally appropriate? Um, So permissive parenting might also be a short order cook where you're making food for your child for every meal because you don't want, you know, the tantrums are too much at the meal time. So you're so worried about what they're going to eat. They're not going to get enough food. Um, authoritarian is what most of us grew up with, which is the one more bite. You must finish it. Um, eat all your vegetables before you have dessert, all of those type of things where the parent is in control and the child's not learning to, to, uh, listen to their body at all. And authoritative is that division of responsibility. So the hardest part in this is letting go. We just did this post on it. One of the biggest things you can do to prevent power struggles is letting go of the things that aren't in your job 
description. So what is the parent's job? If we take feeding, you know, it's the choosing what's being served, when it's being served and where it's being served. And for the child, it's if I'm going to eat and how much. And so as an authoritative parent, it's letting go of those things that aren't in your job description, which is the hardest part, right? Like managing our own emotions, our own feelings that come up when our children don't eat the thing that we serve, or they have a meltdown because we're not giving them that snack right before dinner time. Um, So doing our own work around that is really important. That's such an important clarification. And I, that that's a great way to tie in exactly where the division of responsibility fits into all this. Because, uh, you know, as many of my listeners know, that is the approach and the theory that, that we go by. I'm wondering if you can give us a little example of maybe a script. And, and I don't mean that it has to be prescriptive and you have to say it word for word, but maybe how do parents respond? I always get that question. What do I say when my toddler you know, screams and says, no, I don't want this. This is not what I want. I don't like it, blah, blah, blah. You know, all these different things. Like what are some examples maybe at the table that you can say uh, that would fall within this authoritative approach? Absolutely. So if we take, um, you know, the example of your child asking for a snack right before dinner time and you say, you know, I think first how we set that boundary can be really important, right? So you don't have to find a creative yes for everything in in your life, right? That's like the big thing is the creative yes. Don't ever say no and find a creative yes. It can be helpful though, to set boundaries with empathy. So gosh, I see that you want a snack and we're having dinner soon. It's not time for snack. Let's say they have a big protest. I really, I want a snack right now. I understand you want a snack and it's my job to have meals, uh, you know, to set the, the schedule for meals. So we'll have dinner soon. Um, so going back to child job, parent job. So validating and then setting that boundary. Now let's say it happens at a mealtime. I don't want this. The script that I use in my home is, I understand you don't have to eat it. It's your choice, right? So we're just being very factual about it and allowing them to choose. And that's the script. You don't have to eat it. Yeah. It's so simple and, and it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be drawn out. It really is about connecting. Like you said, so there you go. There's like that warmth and the empathy and on that side of the scale, and then still being really confident and firm around, we have a boundary and I'm going to implement it. And I think that's what I see is often the hardest sometimes with parents. uh, It's so natural for us to feel like if we get that protest, then we're doing it wrong. You know, that, that means like, something went wrong somewhere along the, the, you know, point A to point Z, you know, I said the wrong thing or I did it the wrong way. And now look, they're crying, but really it's understanding too, like that's normal. That's developmentally appropriate. That's actually probably a good sign, especially in the beginning when they're understand, like when it's a transition for them, like they went from no boundary to a boundary, all of a sudden it's them recognizing oh, there is something there now, like there is going to be a change or mom is firm about this or dad is firm in there. And it it's almost like, that's kind of, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's almost like, it's kind of like, oh, it's a sign that it's working to an extent because they've understood that message, right? Yeah. And I think that sometimes we feel this pressure to convince our kids of, um, you know, so if a child's protesting at mealtime that they don't want it, well, we want to convince them mm. that, 
and and we go into a lot of this verbal processing and and trying to be so kind and soft that sometimes removing ourselves a bit from it and just saying it's okay you don't have to eat it yeah and, and less is more sometimes with our kids i mean and and like i said like there's no exact thing that's going to work every single time but then that important work is what we do after and managing our own emotions when our kids are upset and reminding ourselves that them protesting is their job, right? Mm-hmm. In our post about child jobs and parent jobs, kids' jobs is to have emotions and a variety of intensities and to have reactions to how parents set boundaries, right? That's their job. Our job is to stay firm and steady in that. And sometimes we need that more firmness than we realize about some of these things. Mm -hmm. I love you asked earlier about the traps that we see a lot. I think, you know, the trend right now, um, you know, even if you don't fall straight into that, eat your peas first, clear your plate or sit at the table for three hours or in the all day grazing in this attempt to find warmth and boundaries, we see a lot of um, kind of anxious over explaining. Yeah. Yeah. So because we're like, oh gosh, I'm going to set a limit. Please don't be upset on the inside. That's about us. Right. Mm. Then it's like, well, buddy, I, I know you're really hungry. Okay, good. We've got the warmth. Okay. There's some empathy and it's not time for snack right now. Okay. We've got the boundary. And then we get this, <laughs> this huge kind of over explanation that happens because we're anxious, right? We're like, I know you re- you're showing you're really upset right now. And it really doesn't feel good. And you do love crackers, buddy, but you know, mommy works really hard all day to make sure that we have a meal. And I don't do this in a mocking way, right? Yeah. I do it to have a moment of recognition right? We all fall into all of these traps. All of <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. I'm like, Oh God, I just want to have a peaceful dinner. Okay. Let me explain. Let me show you that I empathize. And it kind of keeps going and keeps going. And our kids pick up on this distress that we're having, right? The level of explanation and anxiety we are giving this topic is demonstrating that this is a topic worthy of lots of anxiety mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than it being like, Oh, you know, we, in, in the incredible years in, in the child program, my colleague, Dr. Davis, who is like a goddess and leading the child groups, she does a lot of, um, maybe next time, you know, and teaching kids like, oh yeah, man, that is disappointing. And then showing them what a bounce back looks like by us bouncing back and moving through. And that's the part that I think requires a little exhale to be like, okay, I connected, I set the boundary and now here we go, but let, let's, let's keep going, you know? That's, that's a trend I see a lot. I love it. I love it so much. Okay. So I also want to ask you kind of along the lines of, of this topic, but I saw a post that you recently put up. I I think it was recent anyway, it was about praise Mm -hmm. and how um, praise, you know, I I think I I've at least heard for sure over the last five, six years, especially from family members and things like that, that, you know, if you praise your child and you praise them too much and you praise them for, uh, being good and for being bad or, or not for being bad, but you know, like good girl, good boy, and you're excessively using it. It's a, it's not a really great thing. And then I saw a post that you put up saying that, um, I think it was basically about how it can work for somebody who is like for a child who's experiencing a challenge. Is that right? I'd love to kind of dig into that because just to put some context around this question, 
you know, we hear in the feeding world a lot that even, you know, there's different types of pressures, which we want to avoid at the table. We don't want to pressure a child to eat. We also don't want to overly praise our child and we don't want to be like, good girl, you ate your broccoli, you know, because that can be seen as a form of pressure. But I'm wondering how can we distinguish, like, for who would that be seen as pressure. Like for some kids, it works. I get parents who say, but my, my child loves that. And then they want to try more for others. It is discouraging and it might, you know, set them back and it might make them feel like this is too much. And they're watching everything I'm doing or whatever. Can you kind of explain how praise at mealtime might work based on the research? Wait, I mean, I think we have to start with the praise in general. And then maybe, Jenna, I know you've got the feeding stuff down, <laughs> but you know, the, the hard thing that Jenna and I face is that um, our answer is often it depends because that is what the research says, you know, for a lot of things that that it's nuanced. Right. And and that's hard to sell. Right. That That's not as fancy as like, did you know that this is awful for your child? Never do it. That's a lot easier. Right. So th- that's true with praise. That's true. That's true with so many things. So praise can be effective. Um very effective and healthy for children and families uh, when it's done in a certain way. And it can be ineffective. It can reduce motivation, like internal motivation to do things yourself just because you want to do well when done ineffectively, right? So notice that statement didn't say praise is good. Ignore the haters. And it also didn't say praise is bad, right? Um, So praise is effective when it is um, sincere, and part of sincere means that it's authentic and that it's based on something that's actually kind of a challenge for your kid, right? So you're going to try to use your praise, not be a praise machine, right? Where you're praising every single thing. It's effective when it's specific, when it's labeled, right? Like, so rather than being like, good job, bud, you're awesome, right? Which is not harmful for your child. It's just not as effective in getting them to tie that to the behavior. The praise is more effective when it's labeled, when it's like, um, good job picking up your room. Thank you so much for being helpful, right? Oh, your bottom is on the seat at the table. Thank you for sitting still at the table, right? Those types of ideas, it's specific. Okay. And it's to be pure. It's not sarcastic. There's, we go through in our course, all this list of everything that research has found. There's been big studies about this. There's ways to use praise that increase internal motivation and increase positive relationships between parents and children. I think the issue at the dinner table that Jenna can pick up on is that, you know, for a lot of families that I see in practice that are struggling at dinner time, the topic of conversation has become only eating. Dinner time is like this rapid fire chain of commands and stress and food related conversation. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of the intervention revolves around actually stepping back and commanding less and picking your battles, right. And, and picking maybe two behaviors that you're going to focus on. Um, Jenna, do you want to comment on praise and feeding? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think one, so if you are having some challenges at mealtimes, using that framework of what is effective praise, there is not going to be any harm in focusing on behaviors we want to see more of in terms of um, the basics of mealtime behaviors. So keeping your bottom in the seat, right? So a lot of times what's happening at mealtimes is you know, we're, we're trying to do this division of responsibilities. We're serving a variety of foods, maybe one safe food and some less desirable foods. And, you know, kids have attention spans that are about this big. And so we see kids getting up and down and all the different things. So 
using attention to increase the likelihood, using praise and in your atten- positive attention to increase the likelihood of your kiddo staying in their seat and having polite behaviors and being friendly. Maybe some of these things, all of those are going to increase the likelihood of your child trying new foods, right? The more they're sitting at the table, the more their bottom is in their seat, Um maybe selectively ignoring some of the wiggly behaviors or the, you know, kind of the frustrating behaviors that might be getting a lot of attention right now. Those are all going to be really helpful at getting more of what you want, both in the behaviors, but also in feeding, right? The more positive this emotions your child is having, the more likely they're going to be to, you know, touch that broccoli or to, to do some of these things that we want to see more of, even though we're not focusing on it at all. Right. So now if we want to think about praise for feeding specific behaviors, I think what you were getting at is it it can kind of depend, right? I know that it is kind of the thing right now to like zero pressure, no praise at all with feeding, you know, related to like eating certain foods. You know, I I don't know the deep dive into the research exactly on what effective praise looks like at mealtimes. I do know when I was working at Seattle Children's in um, the autism center, there was a feeding clinic there. They had a program called Adventure Bites. And one of the strategies was praise for being adventurous. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that, it's not so much that I'm praising you because you chose carrots over the chocolate on your plate. Like that, that's not what we're talking about, right? Because that is going to feel very pressured for a child. But what it might be is that we're kind of acknowledging, hey, you're feeling some anxiety and you're being brave by touching this thing that makes you feel anxiety. It could be the chocolate. It could be the broccoli Um, and acknowledging for our kids that process can't be really effective. And we know that from anxiety work in other fields unrelated to feeding that praising kids for being brave when they feel anxious is one of the core strategies for anxiety work. And so in, I think it's really consistent there, right? Because a lot of feeding difficulties do, um, you know, anxiety is one of the emotions that is probably related to it. Yeah. That's my nuance, not really specific. Uh, If you're going to use praise, I would praise, you know, adventurous behaviors, but I would keep pressure super, super low. So you're not like scolding them for not being adventurous. It just might be, oh, you, you know, you grabbed your broccoli. You're being adventurous today. Awesome. Yeah. You know what? That falls exactly in line with what I, with I, with what I believe and what I teach too. You're right. Like I, even in the feeding world, I mean, you will have different experts say different things about this. The Mm -hmm. way I see it is when I boil it down to exactly what you said, like what, where do we see that praise is effective? If your child is a, let's say um, an anxious child has a true difficulty around, you know, touching a food, seeing a food, smelling a food. It's hard. It's, it's uncomfortable maybe for them. They have this perceived danger around it. They have this neophobia around it, whatever it is. And, you know, you know, it's a safe thing for them to eat it and you want to help advance them to get to a point where they can be comfortable at mealtimes, where they can, you know, learn to take a bite without thinking something horrible is going to happen or whatever it is. Praise in that situation makes total sense. I mean, to me, it's it really is encouraging. And, and to the children that I've seen that I've counseled too, it has provided that encouraging base that they need to feel empowered, to feel like it's okay, to feel like I can do this. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, like you said, we sometimes use, uh, and like you were saying, Shauna, you know, the focus is really all about the food. 
at mealtimes. And that's where we see praise can be just unhelpful, at least again, from my experience, you know, when it's, especially to when it's around like how much your child is eaten. So again, if we go back to the roles of parents and the roles of the child, if we're praising our child for, for doing something that really we want in, in terms of like influencing their role in feeding, like how much they're eating and what they're eating and if they're eating, you know, so good job for eating your broccoli. You did so good. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You're such a good girl, et cetera, et cetera. But like you said, if it was chocolate, it's, it's either, I mean, at best it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it could be, oh no, don't have that. You know, let's, that's enough for the, for you or whatever it is. So it's really around, like, I think children sensing where and why is this praise coming? Yeah. Is it to help, you know, give me the confidence that I need or is it to change my behavior? You know, is it to, uh, for an agenda of me getting, of getting me to eat more or eating differently than how I typically would assuming that that is like a healthy, okay thing. Right. So I think, um, I think like you said, this is a perfect example, even just going back to this, like whole mission of yours is like, you see certain things that work in the, in the research or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some strategy or whatever. And then we take it out of context. And then all of a sudden we're like, praise is bad, you know, or whatever. Like we just kind of, you know, dilute it down to this one phrase and this this one framework in our minds without realizing that it's much more fluid and it's much more, you know, there's a lot of variance to this and, and it's harder to do. Like, it's not as easy as just saying never, ever do it. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, when we talk about this balance of warmth and boundaries, you know, like Jenna alluded to earlier, we always imagine this seesaw, right. With warmth and boundaries on either side and you know overly harsh means you're sinking too much into the into the boundaries without the warmth and permissive is like oh oops I'm remembering warmth but oh those boundaries I'm really not being consistent and what we're talking about learning to do is to stand in the middle of that mm-hmm. and to balance the two and what what we see a lot is you know that parents will kind of swing from one side to the other right because like I want I'm gonna be positive I'm gonna be empathetic I'm gonna be respectful I'm gonna be child-led I'm gonna do And then you explode because you're trying to be so purely positive all the time that you blow up and then you swing to this other side. And that actually has been found in in studies like families that are really believing that they want to be really democratic and really respectful, all these things actually sometimes ending up being the ones that yell the most because it's so pressured, Mm -hmm. right? Nobody can white knuckle it that hardcore. Um, And what we want to try to replace that with an encourage that's not so fancy and flashy is hey, instead of swinging wildly from side to side, what if we stood in the middle of this to find some balance and then we scooched? What if we replaced swinging with scooching and forgiving ourselves and being like, hey, I scooched a little too far this way. Let me repair that and scooch back over here, right? And and just kind of meet in the middle and find that balance there and exhale and know, hey, I've I've got research to back this up. I also have research to back up the fact that I don't have to follow this exact script all the time. Right. So I I have some wiggle room and that's healthy. Yes. I love that. I think that's very comforting for me, at least, is to know that there doesn't have to be an exact script, but it doesn't have to be done a perfect way in order to get, again, that outcome of like a secure, happy, healthy child and, Mm -hmm. and a good parent child relationship. It's really the sentiment. It's the, the context. It's the environment. It's the connection you have. And like, 
and, and you said, you know, you could repair. I love that word too. I love that that is allowed and it still will work in the grand scheme of things. Again, perfection is not required in parenting and that stress of the perfection, you know, thinking we have to be perfect can often make it so much harder and, and so much, you know, of a worse outcome if, if that's what we're so focused on. So I really appreciate you saying that. You guys, this has been like so incredibly helpful. I still have a huge list of questions I want to ask you, but I'm going to try and keep this episode, um, all of my episodes, trying to keep them on the shorter side. So I really appreciate all of your insight and info. Um, for anybody listening, if you love uh, what Dr. Shauna and what Dr. Jenna have to say, they do have their their course, which um, their online course, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. And they have been so gracious to give us a discount code. Um, so if you use the code HFT little eater, you get 20% off of their online co- uh, course, which I think all of you will find uh, to be really, really helpful. So thank you again for everything. And I hope I can have you on the podcast again soon. We love that. We love that. Yes. Yeah.